Strongholds are behavioral, emotional, or psychological vices that, as the word suggests, have a strong hold on you. Thankfully, you can cut off their fuel supply and their grip without lifting a finger. I'll show you. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life. I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central, right here at kylewinkler.org slash live. Would love for you to join us live sometime. Let's get right into our message here. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, the Apostle Paul says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds. We'll get back to that verse because it has more to say on the topic of strongholds, but you've heard that word, right? Strongholds. Generally, people think of a stronghold, just how the word sounds, a stronghold. Usually has to do with an emotional or psychological or behavioral vice. Addictions to a drink or a food or a drug or gambling or sex or pornography or shopping or overworking, or scrolling on that device. See, it doesn't always have to be immoral things. It can just be anything that has a grip on you. That's behavioral strongholds, anger, jealousy, fear, negativity, self-hatred. Those are common emotional and psychological strongholds. And I'm not just talking about occasional bouts of these kinds of things. I'm talking about something that persists, that you can't just seem to shake. Sometimes it's triggered by pain or a disappointment, something that you consistently go to for an escape. For years in my life, I was in a stronghold of fear. Fear of rejection, particularly. Talk about it a lot. Living life was like looking through rejection glasses. I just saw everything as potential rejection. Innocent jokes or comments. Certain rejection. Parties or social gatherings, probable rejection. Well, how do you think that caused me to behave? Isolation, insecurity, timidity, which just caused more rejection. Because the craziness of many strongholds is that the behaviors that the fear influences actually create the responses that you are afraid of. So I'd be rejected because I acted like a reject. Well, because it can be so difficult to break a stronghold, it can feel like there are like spiritual handcuffs on you. Like there's a spiritual force that's forcing you to act or think in a certain way. And I think that's what a lot of people think when it comes to this topic. I know that I did for many years. I was sure that my way of being was the result of some spiritual force making me behave in certain ways, so I spent so much energy trying to fight the devil over it all. The problem is, is I spent energy. I exhausted myself and really got nowhere. Sometimes went backward. Because the truth about a stronghold in a Christian's life is that It isn't the result of some kind of spiritual handcuffs put on you by the devil. 
The devil isn't making you do it. And knowing that, and knowing what a stronghold really is, is going to help you deal with it in a way that finally works. We're going to get there. But first, let's start with the first instances of the word stronghold in Scripture. They're in the Old Testament. In Psalm 9-9, David calls God a stronghold. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, he says. A stronghold in times of trouble. Interesting. He says it again in Psalm 144.2. The Lord is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Now we're starting to get closer to the fundamental definition of a stronghold as we know of it today. We'll see it again in the life of David. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 14, it says, David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness. Interesting. Mentioned in the book of Judges. Judges 6, verse 2, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. There are other examples in Scripture, but these are enough to illustrate that strongholds are places of safety. Sometimes they're more figurative. Like when David said that the Lord is a stronghold, he meant that God's presence is a place of safety. But often strongholds in the Old Testament are physical places. They are fortresses and castles and structures, fortified cities that are all very difficult to penetrate and knock down. Are light bulbs going off in your mind now? Speaking of the mind, the only instance of the word stronghold in the New Testament has to do with the mind. It's the verse I read at the beginning of this message. Now, this time I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. It's 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So while this verse clearly mentions God's supernatural power, it mentions nothing of the devil's power, not possession, not a spiritual handcuffing, or any kind of compulsion influenced by the enemy to make anybody do anything. The strongholds, the fortresses, the places of safety that Paul's talking about here are in the mind created by reasoning and arguments. Yes, those could be and may likely be started or influenced by the enemy. But it's not the devil's direct power or some supernatural curse or something that's holding a Christian in a stronghold. It's the power of thought or belief. We're going to get to that in a minute. But let me just talk about the devil's power for a minute and why Paul, nobody in the New Testament, 
ascribed this kind of power to the enemy, like handcuffing spiritual power to the enemy when it comes to strongholds. In short, it's as I said in my message, the devil in disguise, the devil was defeated at the cross. Remember to the Colossians? In Colossians 2, 14 through 15, Paul said that the cross was a kind of triumphant procession, which was a Roman victory parade whereby an enemy, a military enemy, was stripped of his clothes and weapons and paraded through the streets, all to show people that the enemy is no longer a threat. Well, this is how Paul and the New Testament after the cross describes the devil, that he was stripped of his power. So the only remaining power, I guess you could call it, of the enemy, as far as Paul was concerned, was in the mind. For believers, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, he said, Satan has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. In other words, yes, the devil and his subordinates still exist. Of course, they're still around. They're present, but they can't destroy, they can't defeat, they can only influence through lies, deceptions, and slander. Things that happen in the mind. I often say that the devil can't find us. Not Christians, not the real us, which is our spirit. That's because the Bible says we are hidden in Christ. He can't touch the real you. So what does he do? He shouts. He uses his voice to get into your mind. Then the power of your mind goes to work from there, influencing your flesh. And that's how a stronghold starts and keeps its hold on you. And that's what Paul said. It's precisely what he said there in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. Strongholds come from reasoning and false arguments. In other words, lies. Often lies disguised as truth, but lies nonetheless. I'll use me as an example. I told you of the persistent fear of rejection that I had. Well, that fear became so natural to me that it felt like a safe place, strangely enough. Now, I didn't always like it, of course, but at the same time, it seemed to protect me. The fear seemed to keep me safe in certain ways. Almost, I guess, like a person who continues to live with their abusive spouse. They know it's not good, but yet it's all they know, and it kind of is safe, I guess, at least in their mind. Well, that so-called safe place in my mind didn't get built overnight. It came from repeated experiences of rejection that turned into one big lie. I am a reject. You know, consistent feelings and experiences have a way of doing that. Eventually, they go from this is what I feel to this is who I am. So I believed I am a reject. There's something wrong with me. And there were other lies that came with that, of course. Things like nobody will ever like you, nobody will ever love you, everybody's laughing at you, this will never change. Well, eventually, those lies were replayed in me so much that they became entrenched in my mind. In science, this is 
the process of neuroplasticity, which is the wiring of your brain with pathways. You've heard of that, I'm sure. I talk much more about that in my Shut Up Devil book. But what happens when your brain gets wired according to a certain belief is that situations, words, feelings, even the possibility of them, well, they all trigger those lies and fears again. And there's that cycle of a stronghold. This is why I'm so against shame. You know, you listen to the intro to the Shut Up Devil show here that we do. Throughout it, I constantly say, shame off you. Because shame is the big foundational lie that you are wrong. Not that you did wrong, that's guilt. But shame is the belief that something outside of you or inside of you, something you did or something you are, makes you someone who is wrong. And it's a lie. But it's so believable because the enemy brings evidence of it, lies disguised as truth, through past regrets and present struggles to say, see, this is what you feel, this is what you deal with, this is who you are. And it can make sense at times, but it's a lie. And that shame just leads you to bad things. You can Google shame and addictions, for example. All kinds of research on it. All kinds of studies to show how shame fuels addictions, which fuel more shame. I have a statement here from GoodRx. Probably heard of them before from maybe their TV commercials or something. But just so you don't have to take my word for it. They say people with high levels of shame may take alcohol and other drugs as a way to escape reality way to artificially connect with others and avoid their uncomfortable feelings, means of escape. These behaviors only create more shame, beginning a harmful cycle of substance abuse. Mm. I have a friend who was the president of an organization that counseled struggling people. He said that many of the people in his program not surprisingly, had tremendous amounts of shame about themselves. They believed they were wrong. Well, they did a study between people who believed that their struggle made them someone who was wrong versus those who were somehow able to separate their who from their do. He said that in almost every case, those who felt shame were the ones who continued to exhibit toxic and addictive behavior. Now, I wasn't shocked to hear that. I mean, I knew that. It was interesting to hear him say that from a real-world situation, but I wasn't shocked. There are plenty of Bible verses that mention the mind's control over the flesh. Proverbs says, what's your thoughts? They control your life. In Romans 8, 6, Paul said that to set the mind on the flesh is death. So simply put, bad beliefs will drive you to bad things, whether it's people, places, substances, whatever. And those are going to drive you back to bad beliefs, which are going to drive you back to bad things and back to bad beliefs. I'll summarize all this on a chart. I have my 
dry erase board here for those who are tuning in on the podcast and can't see it. So you'll just have to imagine it or go to my website where this is up at kylewinkler.org and you can actually watch it here. But I'm going to draw this out for you. This is the cycle of a stronghold. A lie, that's where it starts, leads to a feeling. Or also right there, a fear. That feeling or fear then leads to some sort of action or reaction. This could be a behavior. This could be an emotional or psychological something. Doesn't matter. When you experience that action or you do that action or reaction, you tend to feel bad about it, which leads you back to the lie, oh, you're a horrible person. See, there's the shame again, which leads you back to the bad feeling or the fear, which leads you back to the escape, back to the reaction, back to the lie. Around and around it goes. So over time, this fortress that's been built in your mind seems so natural and so protective. Certainly it gets so fortified that you can't knock it down from the inside out. You can't do it with your own willpower or your own disciplines. Nothing about you or your performance can do it. It takes God's power, which is the power of truth. And that's what Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 10.4. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. That's the mind again, knowing. We capture their rebellious thoughts. Here's key and teach them, teach those thoughts to obey Christ. The supernatural weapon of God used to knock down strongholds is the truth of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything that it means for your life. Why is it truth versus some other supernatural something? Well, it's because you can't behave away a lie. You can't fast away a lie. You really can't even pray away a lie. You have to believe it away. You have to come at it with right beliefs. You knock down that fortress in your mind, brick by brick, by surrounding it with truth. And interestingly, when it comes to how to practically do this for strongholds in your life, this brings us back to the Old Testament to the story of Joshua and Jericho. Maybe some of you remember that better from the Sunday school song. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Come on, sing along with me. Some of you know this. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Let's go to the story here in Joshua 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. This describes a physical stronghold. The people were inside of a fortified city. 
But the Lord goes on to tell Joshua that I have given you Jericho. So it's theirs. But in order for them to actually get it physically, verse 3, God says, You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. And then the story goes on. In verse 4, On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. Verse 5, when you hear the priests give one long blast on the horns, have all the people shout as loudly as they can. Then the walls of the town of the stronghold will collapse. They knocked down a stronghold. But not really from the men, though. The fighting men really didn't lift a finger. They were basically to do nothing more than surround it with praise and depend on the Lord and God's timing. And that's what brought the stronghold down. The power wasn't theirs. The power was the Lord's. Well, do you see how this foreshadows what Paul said about the strongholds of the mind? They aren't knocked down with worldly weapons. Nothing of the flesh can do it. It takes God's mighty weapons, particularly, as he said there in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We undo lies, therefore deconstructing and destroying strongholds by teaching our thoughts the truth, surrounding our mind with truth. And we know that Paul believed truth had a supernatural power to change things. To the Romans, he said that we get transformed as our minds get renewed. To the Ephesians, speaking about overcoming things like lust and lies and anger, he said, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. These are yet more descriptions of knocking down strongholds. As your thinking gets right, as your believing gets right, so goes your attitudes and actions. Yes, there's a scientific reason that this works. As you fixate on truth, new pathways in your brain begin to form. That's God's word working with God's design for your mind. But there's also a supernatural aspect of it. The word for transformation that Paul used when he wrote to the Romans about the renewal of the mind, you will be transformed by the renewal of the mind. He said that word transform there is metamorphosis. That's the word we use for the process of a caterpillar into a butterfly. No amount of squeezing and wishing and willpower can make that kind of a transformation. It just happens automatically at the right time and over time when the caterpillar is surrounded in the right environment. That's how your strongholds are going to start to come down in your life too. Sure, it could be a quick process where just the right brick is removed and everything just tumbles. But more often than not, it's slower than all at once. And you have to remember, God's not in a hurry. At your salvation, your spirit was made heaven ready, completely sanctified, washed, cleansed, justified. That's what Paul says. That's what the New Testament says. Made heaven ready instantly upon your salvation. So there's no sense of urgency on God's part. The real you is good. 
So like I said, it could be a slow process dealing with your flesh, but it will be a sure process. God will bring you to truth one at a time that will replace lies one at a time, which will renew your mind and then your attitudes and your actions. And one day you'll just look back and you'll realize, wow, I'm not doing the things I used to. I'm not going to the things I used to. I'm not depending on the things that I used to. I'm not feeling or fearing the things that I used to. You'll just suddenly realize it. Now, I know that some of you have some fortified things in your life that you want demolished immediately, like right now. And you're asking, Kyle, where do I start? Well, I would say, do as David did in Psalm 139, 23, ask God to examine your thoughts. And as I've mentioned before, David could ask God to examine his thoughts without fear because he knew that God's love is unfailing. And you can read in Psalm 138.8, he praises God for his unfailing love. And that was just, you know, the psalm right before he asked God to examine his thoughts. So he knew that whatever God brought up would not condemn him or disqualify him or be used to punish him. That's how unfailing love, unconditional love is. It's truly unconditional. But this is all even more true, I'd say, for you today because of Jesus who forgave your past, present, and future sins. So you're not asking God to examine your thoughts for any kind of extra forgiveness or any kind of extra something from God. You already have every spiritual blessing, is what Paul said. Okay. So you're just asking him to examine your thoughts if you want so that he will bring up any lies that may be slipped in that you didn't know you were believing. And I'm telling you, he'll do it. Probably not immediately through any kind of an audible voice. It might come through a sermon. Something might suddenly click when you're reading the Bible or a devotional. Could be anything, really. Could come in the shower. I don't know. It'll be something that changes everything about something you believed. Suddenly you'll just like, wow, I thought that way, but now I think this way. It's a change of mind. And it'll be something that takes a brick or two out of that stronghold, and maybe that's the brick that makes the rest of it come crumbling down. But I'll give you an example of a truth that freed me some years ago. For the first decade of my Christianity, I thought there were all kinds of things that needed to be fixed about me in order for me to please God and be used by Him. I knew I had a call of God on my life, but I just thought that there was so much wrong with me. And believe it or not, much of that belief was fortified over the years in me by religion, by scriptures that were taught to me out of context, really. Nobody's fault. Just the way that it happened. Well, as I often say, I thought my personality was one of those things that needed to be fixed. I didn't think I could be an introvert and do what God has called me to do. I thought to be bold in the spirit meant that I needed to be loud and boisterous and, you know, kind of a life-of-the-party personality. Well, in Colossians 2.10, 
It gives a truth that set me free. It says, so you are also complete through your union with Christ. Complete. I had heard that verse over the years. But at the right time and with some right teaching, it clicked in a personal way for me. I saw that complete means lacking nothing. It means when it comes to pleasing God or being qualified for God's use, I'm as whole as I'm ever going to be. It means I don't need fixing. So can you see how that change belief would change my attitudes and actions? When I believed the lie that I wasn't good enough for God, I was insecure, I was fearful, I was anxious, I was exhausted from trying to do something, improve something that Jesus already did and proved. But when I understood the truth that I am complete in Christ, everything changed. The insecurity went away. The fear and anxiety went away. The striving went away. The stress, therefore, then went away. I could finally get on with my life and my calling. And I could stumble my way through it and not have to be afraid of, oh no, did I mess up and did I make God upset? Did I fall from grace? No. When I understood my completion in Christ, well, that stronghold of fear and insecurity got destroyed. And I'll tell you what, I'm so convinced that it's not getting rebuilt. That's what truth does. Like I said, that's what God will do for you. He's good like that. So it's okay to ask him to examine your thoughts to expose lies. Not to find something bad in you and help you be forgiven of it or something. No, that's already a done deal. You ask God to examine your thoughts to expose the lies so that you can change your thinking, your believing. So he might lead you to some truths immediately. He might use my Shut Up Devil app or my Think on These Things journal or a Bible promise book or a devotional to do it. Many other ways he could do it too. Sermon, a song, random thought dropped into your mind at just the right time, okay? There's no limits on how God can do this and there's certainly no limits on the time again. However God does it though, when the truth finally clicks, like when you know it, like, oh, wow, this is this is the truth about this specific subject or this specific feeling or fear that I've had. Surround that lie. Surround yourself with truth. Fixate on that truth despite how you feel or how things look. It might take seven days of surrounding that truth. It could take seven months. Don't get caught up in the timing of it. Focus on the truth. And at the right time, the walls will fall. Probably when you're not trying so much. Just get yourself convinced of that truth. And at the right time, the walls will fall. The stronghold will be knocked down and it'll be kept down. Because you will have established truth. Really a positive stronghold. And you'll be freed and stay freed. Here's the simple takeaway. When it comes to toxic patterns in your life, don't try to take them down yourself. You can't behave them away. You can't discipline them away. First and foremost, you believe them away. It's right believing that leads to right behaving 
that leads to right living. Okay. I mentioned my Think on These Things journal. I designed this journal to help you in this deliverance process. It begins with a short chapter about mind renewal, which includes what I call the four R's of mind renewal. How to apply the truth to your life. Read, reflect, rephrase, repeat. The bulk of this journal is simply made up of 30 days of grace-based truths from the Bible with journaling prompts that take you through those four R's. The goal is that it keeps your mind focused on truth so that in 30 days, your mind actually starts to get rewired so that you start to believe right, which affects everything else in your life from there. Everything trickles down from the top. So this is a super practical but powerful resource, and it's available for you at kylewinkler.org journal. We've also made it possible for you to get these at a discount if you purchase five or more for your family or group. All the details are there at kylewinkler.org journal. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good, and he is for you, and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcasts, and wherever you get social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.